0: they swing now, Eduardo and Nature Strip, head and head up the rise and a thriller here on the Everest and Nature Strip, given the cue by McDonald and the champ races to the lead by a length on Eduardo Private Eye's running on, then came over past Shades of Rose, Jackano and o and Giga Kick, Nature Strip a length in front, Private Eye Giga Kick, Giga Kick down the outside wins the Everest, the unbeaten three year old's done it, Giga Kick beat Private Eye then Nature Strip, Jack and Marzu. Further back to overpass, Kevin Tari, Mars Crusader, Shades of Rose, Joyful Fortune. Further back then to Ingratiating and Eduardo finished last. What a moment for Clayton Douglas, 27 years of age, only been training for a couple of years. Craig Williams, the faith he placed in this horse to go to ride it in the Everest, uh, paid wonderful dividends. And, of course, the other part of the equation is the successful slot holder. It was James Harron Bloodstock, and we're delighted that James Harron can join us this morning as our first guest on Past the Post. James, good morning. Good morning. I was watching the replay a few times, and I don't think people realise the, the actual extraordinary performance this horse has turned in. He probably ended up not in the right spot, but even, like, with 200 metres to go... He was still four to five lengths off them. It's been a, been a wonderful performance. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it, it, I thought when he missed the kick um,
1: and ended up sort of second last, and mm. I think rounding the turn, I just started thinking, oh, please, you know, please just don't run, you know, back in the field, but we'll try and try and run in the top six or, or, or something. And it's uh, just incredible to watch him pick up through the run and, and really once he hit top gear he it's incredible how he murdered through the line and was was really strong and going away from him at
2: the end james i think this race showed me while, you, while your bank balance is full of zeros and mine is full of zeros in another way as in zero 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 I, I must admit i'll put my hand up here i gave that horse no chance in the everest i thought it should have started two hundred and ten dollars i thought it was a wild swing at the stumps you picking him but yet again you fit paid dirt. take us through the process of picking this horse
1: yeah, look, it's you know, the three year olds have just performed very well and we, we sort of felt like Nature Strip was, was gonna be very, very difficult to beat as did everybody. You know, he was his ratings suggest he was he was, you know, a long way ahead of that field. I think after Nature Strip it was probably quite open. Um we get given the the pool of horses, we wanted something a bit left of center, something that we we could potentially have some upside um, and the the three old the weather lines that that performed extremely well horses um you know since its inception um you know from tulip right through to obviously yes 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 through to um through to these guys today they, they all really did perform performed super so. And that was a big deal for us, getting that getting that three-year-old form. The fact that he's versatile, and where he can be ridden, they they always thought he was going to be better ridden um, a bit quieter. And of course, well, there was a strong feeling from the camp that uh, a heavy track, a good track, nothing would nothing would worry him. So you have to sort of um, tick off those boxes leading into this race. You've obviously got a high-pressure race, a horse that can just sit behind it. Was a good tick. Um, the weight allowance was a tick, and of course, the versatility and ground was a major tick, given given the weather we've been having.
0: Of course, it's well known that uh, you were the slot holder of Redzell winning the inaugural Everest. Just let's drill down a bit further from your point of view. Uh, you know, it's 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 very high pressure to have one of these slots. Do you go into it each year uh, with a, a plan to, to choose early or to choose late? Because Giga Kick was one of the last... You you were one of the last uh, slot holders to, to choose a horse.
1: Yeah, no, look, it, it really just comes down to um, circumstances sometimes. You know, there might be... You might see something that really catches your eye and you want to get involved quickly. You might not see that horse. You might feel like it's better to wait and try and learn more about um, what's unfolding with the lead up runs. Um the other thing is obviously, you know, we like to see if we've got any horses of our own that, that we think could potentially run in the race. So we, we always give that a bit of you know, that probably gets precedent to the point where we say we, we either do or we don't and um, you know, hopefully that day comes soon enough where we can we can run one of our own colts in the race so we just haven't had the right the right one at the right time. But um you know I think I think it's interesting like this year I believe Giga Kick um, and Private Eye, obviously first and second, were were the last two selected uh, into the race. And um, Kim and Tire was obviously a, an emergency. But you know, it's it's it's, it's difficult. You, you know, you, there was a lot of people went early this year and looked like they'd pulled the right rein. And you know, it can just be luck of the draw. We all need a bit of luck in this game, as you know. And uh, timing can be everything. And um, look, we're just very. Very fortunate to get a, a very good horse on the app. Um, we got given great confidence by Craig Williams, um, who, who I spoke to in depth about the horse before we selected him, and he was very adamant he'd be a top four chance in the race. And I think given the makeup of the race, that was enough for us to, to, to give him a chance. And, and, of course, the wonderful story for, for young Clayton Douglas, who's just done an amazing job with the horse.
2: Take us into the world a little bit of Clayton Douglas. I reckon you probably have only just met him. Uh, I guess in the lead ups of the week at various functions, but he seemed to um, really exude a, a quiet, or maybe even not so quiet, confidence. He was quite bullish. This horse was going to run extremely well, and, and I guess no one really listened to him apart from you.
1: No, he was. He's he, he um, just met just met Clayton um, through the week, so we, we we called in and had a had a, a look at Tech. On um, Wednesday morning, and and had a chat with Clayton because I thought it, I thought it was important. I sort of joked with Rocket Douglas. I, I sent him a message and said I better I better meet Clayton because it would be a bit awkward to meet him for the first time in the in the winners' room. But uh, that was certainly tongue in cheek, let me tell you. And um, I met him, and you know it was what was nice. You know when you're putting a lot a lot of money up and in investing, and you're investing in Clayton, you're investing in the horse, and, and he was just. You know, every one percent. He had the pony there with the horse. He he was riding him. He was taking him every year. He was giving him the absolute royal treatment, and um, that gives you a lot of confidence. And he was he was Ben. He was very very confident about the horse. Um, the, through the whole week, he said, "I can't. I don't think I can have him better. He feels brilliant." The big question was, you know. Even at that point, where does that leave giga kick in terms of, like, his ratings? He's still got to run the rest of his life and probably find six, seven lengths against these sprinters. So, um, and and he was able to do that. And and they were very, I think they they really were correct in in how much better the horse is ridden that bit quieter. So, potentially missing the kick a bit and all those things that looked really uh, worrying in the beginning might have have played into his hands even better.
0: Yeah, he was a 90 raider going into the race. I think he was the, the second lowest raider apart from Joyful Fortune. Just, uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, you obviously feel very chuffed the choice you've made and it, it, it's the dividend's been paid. It's, it's been successful. Around that time you chose Giga Kick, say, just before, not after, was there any other horse you had in mind?
1: Well, there's been numerous horses you're looking at. You're, I mean, you're having a lot of dialects, a lot of people. There was a lot of people frightened away by Nature Strip. Uh, there was, that was the resounding um, thing I would say this year. Um, a lot of horses that, that that didn't really even want to enter discussion um, just because they thought it was a foregone conclusion. So I think it's been a, a great thing for the race to have a, a horse like Giga Kick win the race, and obviously Private Eye come in at, um you know i know he was well backed in the end but he was sort of like a 15 dollars shot all week giga kick was a 20 to 1 pop and um you know i think the sp average sp of the race over the last six years has been sort of just over nine dollars so i think it'll help going forward um that people will want to just have a crack and you know every horse is beatable, and um uh, I think that's really important. But, you know, uh, as we were leading into the Giga Kick decision, obviously the two horses that came out of Melbourne that day that were both, you know, contenders for the Everest were Private Eye and Giga Kick. So mm. it, it was, uh, I would have probably been a little bit um, fetal position style for about a week if Private Eye had a bag, got <laughs> over the top of Giga Kick the other way around. But, you know, hats off to those guys. They've got a fantastic horse that, it's in an absolute incredible form. So um, well done with Jamie Walter and, and Joe Pride and those guys, he ran a terrific race.
2: And strangely enough, you've got a horse called Cannonball, which was quite unlucky against uh, Giga Kick in the Dane Hill, got beaten a length and a half, but uh, should have finished a lot closer. That's uh, quite quick, isn't it? I'm assuming Cannonball would be going to the Coolmore.
1: Yeah, look, it was it was a it was a he ran a super race. Um he needs really good ground and um, sort of not by design ended up Mark got quite far back on him in Caulfield and, and he flew home and Mark dropped his whip and he sort of got off and he said, look, that is definitely the way to ride him. Um, and he sort of, you know, uh, apologized for obviously dropping his whip. He thought he probably could have won. And we we just thought we'd drive onto the Hill and a dry track and just see, see where we sat amongst them and, and, and rode them quietly and Brett Preble rode him and he's only sat on them twice for a listed win and a and a third in the day now and he thought he thought with a few a bit of luck he would have been very close. So um that was really pleasing them. hopefully we can get a dry track and he'll um he'll go to the Coolmore, and, and Brett Preble partner up with him again and and the form's looking quite good now at this stage. I'm just doing that see where Giga Kick ends up now.
0: We're going to have a chat with Peter Valandis very shortly. He's, he's on the line. But just before you go, James, I'm sure one thing you would, would have watched in the replay, apart from Giga Kick, was Jackano's run because a bit's happened there over the last 48 to 72 hours. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Obviously, we were involved in um, working with the owners in, in, in selling Jackano and the wooden stud picked him up. And uh, look, I thought he ran terrific. It was a super run. Um, I think they've got a fantastic horse on their hands. and, He's going to have a very bright future. So it's it's really uh, starting to look like it could be a fantastic edition of the Coolmore.
0: Exactly. Congratulations. Wonderful choice. Wonderful result. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, many thanks, guys. Appreciate it. James Harron from James Harron Bloodstock. Let's have a chat now with Peter Valendiz, the Racing CEO of Racing New South Wales. Peter, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ben. What about... <laughs> it's there for all to see yesterday nearly 50,000 people the atmosphere was just unbelievable whether you were there or not but this race i think yesterday showed clearly that and i've used this term before but i use it in a complimentary way it's a disruptive it's a disruptor the everest because what it does it's so powerful now it just says you're coming with us gigakit could have just gone to the coolmore for example jack Wodeau could have gone to the Corfield giddies but this race has become so powerful; it drags horses into it, and I think that's a a great result.
3: No, I, I, I couldn't have summarised it better, uh, David. But I think you're know, on the mark. It's it's a new event. It's always designed for the younger demographic, and they really embraced it. The majority of the crowd there yesterday were under the age of thirty. And uh, as racing administrators, we've got to look towards the next generation. We need a charismatic race. We need one that's bold and vibrant and disrupts. And that's what the youth of today look for, and we've provided it in the Everest, and um, it will only get bigger from here, and we'll certainly look to increase the prize money to to make it that standout event.
2: How did you feel, Peter, about a Victorian horse, a Victorian trainer and a Victorian jockey winning your race?
3: Oh, no, all well, good. I mean, we'll talk competition. As I said, look, we believe in competition. We've got nothing against Victoria, but they just don't like competition, and, and competition lifts everybody. You you do things better. You, if you've got a a good sports radio against you, you'll lift your performance. And that's exactly uh, what the racing industry has done. Victoria's lifted its performance because of New South Wales. We were always the poor cousins. Now that we have been able to generate new revenues, uh, we we can compete. And I use the analogy that uh, if you're a florist, you open, up, you open on Valentine's Day. If you're a chocolatier, you open during Easter. So for racing, spring is the prime period. It's free of the AFL, free of the NRL, And that's when we should be placing our races to maximise our
0: revenues. And and just from a personal point of view, and I I can't understand how some people don't get this, but I think it's it's worth commenting on that. At the end of the day, your wage is paid by Racing New South Wales, and so you've got to do everything in the best interest for Racing New South Wales. It it's to me, it seems it just makes simple simple sense. Absolutely, my. uh, in
3: the statue of racing in New South Wales, it requires the CEO to act in the best interests of racing in New South Wales, and that's exactly what I do. But ironically, you know, us getting an event like the Everest that's, that's um, attracting the younger generation has benefits to all states in Australia because they become future customers of their big races. And if we didn't do it and we don't get that young generation through, the, the whole industry um, fails. So, Now, we should, all states should look at how to attract that younger generation and bring in new races. I see the Gold Coast up there have done that with the, with the wave race and I compliment them on it. You've got to be innovative. People aren't, people live too much on tradition and think that, you know, they will come. They won't come because the generational tastes change. What their parents do, the kids don't want to do. So you've got to give them something that's different. um, Because once, their parents uh, leave, and you you rely on tradition. You you won't have anyone.
2: Do you think there's the potential, Peter, to to push back whether it's you know, New South Wales or Australian racing in general? Some of the bigger and better races, or or, or some new races. Sort of later in November, even early December, because it seems to me, uh, you know, there's a really clear air there, isn't there? No footy, the cricket hasn't really kicked in. Is is there potential for that? Do you think?
3: Look, there is potential, but but then you have to reprogram the trainers because the trainers have to then adapt to a a different uh, time of the year for their horses. They look, they're set in their ways, and um, look, we put on the Hunter and the Gong later in November, and they've been exceptionally successful in those areas. And again have been attracting a younger generational crowd um, and promoting that particular area, and we're taking the, the main race meeting to that area um, on that Saturday, and that's been very successful. I, I look, I think in the future we've got to look at it, but um, everyone has to do it because, unfortunately, the horses are trained for a specific period.
0: I read a report in, I think it was the Sydney Morning Herald late last week, they said, uh, it was reported that the Victorians said you could have Group One for the Everest as long as you stop pu- putting up new races. Is there any truth to that? Look, there's an
3: element uh, of truth to that. That They did say that. Look, they wanted to uh, stop us from putting on any additional races. And look, I can understand where they're coming from. They've traditionally had a monopoly on, on spring and they've made much revenue uh, in that period. But Um, But as I said, I have to look after New South Wales, and I I think some of our races actually complement their races. And, and look, I think the last day at Flemington this year is a great initiative by the VRC. They've really lifted. They've got three or four $3 million races. Um, You know, the Cox Plates prize money's gone up significantly. Competition lifts everybody, and they shouldn't be afraid of it. And you shouldn't use regulatory things to blackmail someone, if you know, if you're good enough to be a Group One, you should be a Group One. If you're not good enough, don't be. But you can't have the Sydney Stakes as a Group Three race, having a higher grade Ridiculous. than the Everest. It, it makes a farce of Australian racing. You shouldn't use regulation or um, t- to put the commercial will on someone, um, and that's unfortunate. What's happened, and it makes a farce of Australian racing.
2: On a lighter note, Peter, what was your personal highlight of Everest week? I mean, obviously, the easy thing to say is the race itself, but you're involved in a lot of things. You were on the boat the other night with the drones up in the sky, you know, a lot of functions. Is there a, uh, you know, quiet moment behind the scenes or or something you really, you know, hold close to your heart with Everest week? Look, I I think,
3: you know, we're a team at Racing New South Wales and we've got some very, very good staff. And I guess the highlight for me is when we heard there was a record crowd, we all high-fived because, you know, they put a lot of hard work into it and... You know, they have the biggest crowd in 50 years. I just saw the smile on their faces, and that's what makes uh, me going. It's to see those younger younger staff and managers, and we've got some very good staff. But also the drone show, I've never seen anything like it. It's, um, it took the Everest to another level. It went, you know, that drone show went right around the world, and you had, being live at it um, was unbelievable because you just saw these drones take off, and all of a sudden there's a massive 200-metre or even bigger logo uh, in the sky you know, overlooking the, the the skyline of Sydney and the harbour and the opera house. It, you couldn't promote Sydney better. And the technology was just amazing. I'm, I've just never seen anything like it. And it's unfortunately set a new standard. We have to find <laughs> something even bigger and brighter next year. That's the only problem we've got now.
0: You, you made a point before about the, the effect of, of the, the Tab Everest on the rest of Australia. And the other factor is, too, like I was calling at Eagle Farm yesterday, the BRC, they're a beneficiary of it. They're getting bigger crowds than they normally had at this time of year because they can enjoy the spectacle of the, the Tab Everest. They can enjoy the Caulfield Cup on, on the big screen there. Their crowds are up. I know the crowds are up at Morfordville as well. So it, there's a, a great spin off to these these great race days. Look,
3: the club that's really embraced it, and I compliment them for it, is the Melbourne Racing Club. Mm. Uh, Josh Blansky and his team, rather than trying to fight it, they embraced it. And what it's done is actually given them a major day. The Caulfield Cup was, you know, needed some help at, at a point because they were even looking at making it a wait for age race where there was a debate going on. So. And look, they've embraced it. They've worked with us. They even took a slot at one year, and they've benefited from it. Their turnovers have gone up dramatically. Their crowds have gone up dramatically, and it's made a you know a major race day um, right around Australia, and that's great. And that, you know, and I just hope that everyone's promoting it to that younger generation.
0: Just before you go, last question, and you, you may made mention of this a little earlier, it was 15 million the TAB Everest yesterday? Will it be more next year?
3: Look, our aim has always been to, to make it twenty million, we're, we're, and so whatever prize money increase, it won't be a million or two million. It'll it'll be a massive increase, and we're going to look at the ways we can do that. We you know we've said we'd put all the revenues that we generate from the Everest back in the Everest. To, and look, the Everest has been um, beneficial for a whole twelve months in New South Wales racing. Our revenues have gone up dramatically because we've kept our horses in New South Wales in spring, but more importantly, we've kept our punters. Betting on our products for the whole twelve months, mm. and it's just the Everest has been a platform for improvement right right twelve months around. So we we need to keep um, growing the Everest, and because it has twelve months worth of benefits. Great point. Appreciate your time this morning, Peter. Thanks for talking to us. My pleasure, fellas.